This was a little piece of news that dropped this morning. It's the 21st of April. It was a little, it was a leak, a legislative leak. Uh, Sarah Gamard at the News Journal. Um, just a little tip for uh, legislative leakers. Dude, uh, Delaware Calls is open. You know, hit us up. I don't mind. I like Sarah. She's a friend, but, you know, you can always hit us up with this, too. But this was this morning. Democrats drafting bill to end police secrecy in Delaware ahead of task force opinion. Democratic state lawmakers appear to be drafting a bill to erase the state's secretive policing laws and open up disciplinary records to the public. The proposal is part of a 62-page draft report recently shared with members of the Delaware Police Accountability Task Force as it prepares to hold a meeting as it prepares to hold a meeting next week to decide what police reforms to ask of the General Assembly. The policy recommendation report, a copy of which was obtained by Delaware Online, the News Journal, includes the draft of the bill to amend the Law Enforcement Officers' Bill of Rights, a controversial section of the state law that dictates how officers are disciplined and how much the public is allowed to know about that discipline. The draft bill by Senate Majority Whip Tizzy Lachman and Representative Kendra Johnson, which has not been finalized or filed, would also make public the investigatory records related to police discipline. The records would be able to be used in court and police would be barred from destroying or discarding those records according to the draft bill language. It is unclear if and when the bill would be filed and if it would be approved by the legislature and signed into law by Governor Carney. It goes on. The draft bill would also strip a section of the Bill of Rights that states police are not required to disclose an officer's personnel file or internal affairs investigative investigatory files unless a civil plaintiff attorney sues for physical injury or damages. Additionally, it would make public the complaints against the officer and details of any disciplinary hearings. An officer's personal information, such as phone number or medical history, would remain private. And then it ends like this. The issue is, at best, delicate in Dover. Progressive lawmakers want to heed the growing call for police reform, but at the same time want to avoid pitting members of their party against each other. Even the most outspoken progressives who have pushed for police reform have appeared hesitant to publicly express their frustrations for fear of angering their colleagues. As a result, the journey toward police reform has been slower and more opaque than initially promised after protests erupted last spring. From the start, critics warned that the task force would only serve as a stopgap for action in the statehouse. Advocates hoped that Delaware would feel pressure after the effort in Maryland, where the state's Democratic-controlled General Assembly overrode Governor Larry Hogan's veto to repeal its Bill of Rights, replacing it with laws that let members of the public participate in police disciplinary process. Lawmakers have until a June 30 deadline for this legislative year before they go on a six-month break. Other changes have stalled, such as proposals last year to require all officers in the state to wear body cameras. Carney has asked lawmakers to spend $3.6 million next year to fund body cameras, though the program would not be fully funded until 2025. Lawmakers, however, have yet to introduce a bill to make that plan a reality. From deep behind enemy lines in the shadow of Rockford Tower, this is the Highlands Bunker Podcast. As always, uh, Carl is at a secure remote location, and I am pleased to have our comrade Ty Greer back in the cut. Uh, This is the first episode in a series of conversations produced in partnership with the ACLU of Delaware and the Delaware Call that we are calling the Delaware Justice Team Series. Uh, Please check out the links in the show notes 
and consider supporting the work of the ACLU, of the Delaware Call, and of this podcast. Our guests today are Hanif Salam. He is the campaign manager for the Delaware Campaign for Smart Justice for the ACLU of Delaware. Hello, how are you? And John Reynolds, uh, he is a campaign manager at the ACLU of Delaware for the Clean Slate Delaware program. John, thanks for, thanks for joining. Yeah, thanks, Rob. Yeah, of course. Um, for discussions like this, I like to start um, just with a little background because I think it's very interesting um, how somebody sort of grew up, what their experiences were, and whether or not you know, they informed sort of the, the decision they made to, to, uh, to work as an organizer and an advocate um, in the public sort of sphere. Um, so, Hanif, maybe you can go first. Like, um, where are you from? H how did you grow up? Uh, what was it like? And, and what led you to, um, to a, a career in, um, in, in, in service like this? Sure, sure, Rob. I'm glad you asked. So uh, I am from, born and raised in Wilmington, Delaware. Uh, grew up in the South Bridge community in Wilmington. And um, one thing that I'm proud of is um, I grew up with a mother and father in the household, and that was a unique circumstance for uh, a lot of people that uh, grew up in my community. So um, I was always thankful that my parents had always instilled in me good principles and morals um, that even stand with me to today. Um, growing up in Wilmington, um, it, it was interesting because my parents uh, uh, really had uh, uh, instilled the importance of education within me and my brother, and they took education seriously. So uh, we were both honor roll uh, students throughout our school careers. Um, but my school career kind of uh, began to come across a bumpy road um, once I got into high school. Um, in the early 90s, uh, I watched my parents um, suffer from uh, substance abuse. Um, you know, at that time, the uh, crack epidemic was not just affecting my family, but many households um, across the country. Um, so unfortunately, um, when that became a reality uh, for my life, um, I didn't value education in the same way. I didn't value the uh, 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 American dream of going to school, going to college and getting a career. Um, I began to um, seek money down in, in, in ways that were illegal. Um, I, I think uh, my perspectives as a teenager and young adult was that um, there's so many barriers put up against me and my family's going through so much, I might as well make as much money as I can any way that I can make it. Um, understanding that is not the right way of thinking for somebody who wants to be successful in society. Um, I did suffer the consequences of making those decisions. And uh, in 2000, I was charged with... Um, drug possession and drug dealing uh, charges. Um, and, you know, honestly speaking, when I got that charge, I just, it just seemed like a, a part of the process, right? A part of life that people like myself and others just have to endure. Um, what really opened my eyes to changing my life was the cycle of recidivism I got caught in through our probation system in Delaware. Um, I was violated four times for probation um, two of those times, I mean, we could, you know, one was for marijuana. So, I mean, you're not supposed to do it on probation, but I mean, they bought the legalizer now. So you mean to tell me I went to jail for smoking weed, but okay. Uh, the other two times, um, I really felt like it was just, um, something within the system that just, you know, um, a lot of black men face. So one time 
um, I had started a home renovation business, right? And uh, the probation officer was aware of it. Uh, but because when you're starting a home renovation business and you're building up customers, most people pay in cash or personal check. I did not have proof of income to take to a probation officer to every visit. So I was then violated for not getting a job in a timely manner and not providing proof of income. And it was warranted because I was paying my fines with this uh, income that I was generating. So the probation officer had a heavy assumption that I was still selling drugs and thought since I was working, it'd be best for me to be violated. Uh, the second time I was violated, it wasn't even due to probation. It was due to the task program that often monitors individuals in Delaware when they are uh, uh, recommended for substance abuse treatment. And after being clean off marijuana for some time, obtaining my first job and maintaining it, uh, my task counselor said that I missed too many appointments and I was not prioritizing tasks in my life. And they thought for that reason um, that my job should be taken away, my freedom should be taken away, and I should think about it. Um, so, you know, after going through that vicious cycle and that uh, that last time being sent to jail for a violation of probation and missing the birth of my daughter, um, it really opened my eyes. I decided to change my life. And I thought that uh, I would not want any other career rather than be able to get paid for helping people. And so that's what I jumped into. Uh, thankful for Public Allies Delaware that initially taught me the skills to be able to communicate effectively and to be able to grow in this nonprofit sector. Yeah, that's a heavy story. It's an important. <laughs> it's an important. I try, to, story. I try to squeeze it all in there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you said something. I mean, what you explained at the beginning, you know, that it became clear that not only was this a way to succeed and make money and at least support your family and, 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 and be something. Um, but even getting arrested the first time and getting charged the first time was just like, you know, a professional getting laid off at this job and having to find another, just like a bump in the road. Um, but those systemic barriers, um, that are in place, you just described them all. I mean, we've talked about, uh, the probation and parole, uh, guidelines are, I mean, it's counterintuitive. Like, why would you make it even harder for someone who's already had it very difficult uh, and, and not, you know, be able to support people more often? I talked to a guy who wrote uh, a long essay in Current Affairs uh, about housing and couch surfing and homelessness, people in their cars. And it's the same thing. You know, you try to get people housing and they make it extremely difficult. It should be extremely easy. We want we want people to get housing. We want people to get social services and support. Uh, but it's not in, in reality. It's it's the opposite, you know. So, John, uh, I, I hate to break the news to you, but you got to follow that story with your with your background story. And I look, I'm not making any assumptions. I'm just saying this is probably not going to be as poignant. But you you go ahead. I'm just kidding you. I'm just kidding. Uh, I'll I'll pass, Rob. So so. Rob is correct. Uh, he's correct in assuming that the, my story is quite different from Hanif's. I grew up in suburban New Jersey um, in a very white town with a lot of other white children. And the thing that I think really set me down this path that leads me to working at the ACLU of Delaware today is the fact that my extended family was a multiracial one. And the cousins that I was closest to and spent the most time and were my best friends growing up were black. I mean, I don't feel the world, the word multiracial really existed in the early 90s. So 
I was a white kid who had black cousins and somehow we were related and a lot of people didn't understand. Um, and that experience kind of that proximity, um, made it so there were certain moments throughout my life that gave me things that, that I could not explain with the narrative and the explanations that are being provided to me by the world and the adults around me that continually communicated that racism was a thing of the past, that MLK, you know, just smited racism in the 1960s, and that really any problems we have today do not have to involve that. And those explanations didn't speak to those experiences, didn't speak to the experiences that I only had with my cousins and never had with my white friends, didn't speak to the experiences of people refusing to come to my house when my cousins were also visiting. Um, never for explicit reasons, but ones that as a kid, you eventually just, I mean, it doesn't take much to start to realize like when one thing happens and another thing happens at the same time and only at that time, that they must be related in some way. Um, and so building upon that uh, throughout high school and then into college, um, I kept having these really, what to me at the time were terrifying experiences where I would try and set up groups of friends that mirrored a lot of the most meaningful family relationships in my lives, in my life, that basically they didn't involve exclusively white people. And that was extremely hard to do. And it was continuously extremely hard to do, but I was fortunate enough and blessed to be able to find some of those communities eventually. Again, multiracial spaces in which I was being exposed to many things that were quite different from my experience. I was learning how to listen in a way that many young white boys never do. And that really shaped what I wanted to do with my life moving forwards. Uh, it was during that time that I really wanted to understand what it meant to be a white man interested in trying to be anti-racist and also understanding all of the baggage that I brought trying to do that work. And so from there, I, uh, after graduating college, I took a year and then went off to law school, specifically to uh, UCLA School of Law, go Bruins, uh, because they have a critical race studies specialization. And it's the only one of its kind in the country. It allowed me to study with a bunch of students and professors who are really experts in the field to think about not just the law, but how the law informs how we understand race and racism and how racism in turn shapes how the law is created and how we interpret it. And so from that, I've gone on to do different work with community organizations as well as advocacy organizations that lead me here today. And I'm super excited now uh, to be, have a chance to work with folks like Hanif every day and Delawareans who, who are really, I feel like uh, Delaware sometimes gets, gets this, gets this rap that it's, it's quiet. It doesn't want to, it, it's, it's very content with, with moving very slowly, but I think Kanif and I can both speak to the fact that, that every single day we're interacting with people who, who are putting out legitimate, legitimate solutions to the problems that are faced every day, and they would like to see those solutions happen now. They don't understand, and I don't understand, a reason why we have to wait, um, because we've been waiting for a long time. And knowing that nothing will be fixed instantaneously, we still need to see progress and we need to have society that's accountable to the people who live in it. Um, and so I think, Rob, I'm gonna stop there. I'm not gonna try and top Hanif's story because I can't. Um, so let's just call it quits at this moment. <laughs>
That's fair. That's fair. I mean, if you really want to talk about a top story, are you guys familiar with uh, the story of uh, Ty being in a gasoline explosion in, <laughs> in, a, in a Japanese uh, uh, ca- in a cave when she was 10? Or, do you guys know that story? Oh, my God. The whole life is an adventure. You know what? We can't. We we can't we can't get into it right now, but uh, suffice to say that um, there's some there's some stories that that she get out. We'll get into that some other time. We we talked about it on the podcast a couple of months ago. Um, I was very surprised that Ty would get into that kind of business, but there you have it. Um, no, I think you make a good point about Delaware, and I I, I want to sort of maybe maybe we'll start with this and get into the details of what you guys are working on and, and kind of running up against this idea. It's a it's a it's a small place, and a small group of people control sort of the political culture and sort of uh, the, the the bureaucracy and the elites. Uh, you know, it's a, a small group of of you know financial and political elites that sort of operate the gears of the system. So whatever they're doing, people just assume well that's what the people want to do. Do people want to take it slow? Do people want to do the Delaware way? And, you know, just kind of, uh, you know, run the run the engine, don't make any changes, keep keep the thing between the lines and whatever fallout there is, is just we're going to have to either ignore it uh, or as you did, you know, people are telling you not to believe your eyes, what you're seeing. You know, they'll say, uh, you know, systemic racism ended with the Civil Rights Act in the 60s. Well, that's obviously ridiculous, Um, but you run it. So there's a there's conventional wisdom that people do their best to sort of control. But I agree with you. I think uh, if you organize people and you show them that and, and you sort of talk the way you guys talk to people and advocate, you don't have to put up with that. Like that's not that's not some special divine sort of system the way it works. It's the way we've allowed it to work, but we don't have to do that. We don't have to allow it to work that way. And um, yeah, I think that that's, that's one of the biggest obstacles it's just a structural obstacle against change and against imagination and thinking that whatever problems we have are mostly individual problems and so you know there's no sort of common way we can address those and i don't believe that i don't think that's true so yeah i mean i i i i I dig what you're saying for sure and and i agree with you rob I, i i um that is why the Delaware Police Accountability Now initiative, the movement we announced uh, earlier today, uh, is so important and unique uh, because we've really been at a grassroots in communication with the community, and we're going to continue that. But uh, one of my main goals in this initiative is to amplify the community's voice, right? Because you're absolutely correct, the community um, is 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 not good with the Delaware way. Um, they want to see police accountability now, and um, I, I think it's still going to be challenging. And but I think it's going to be effective in informing the community because we're going to remember this next year in midterm election, and then two years from now for elections. Because another thing that's a part of the Delaware way is kind of what we've seen when the Delaware Black Caucus did the press conference in June, right? Uh, uh, individuals from the community were just fed up with what was going on locally. Uh, I think what, uh, the killing of Mr. Floyd sparked and ignited things nationally, and people here in Delaware started speaking up in a way that uh, legislators were hearing loud and clear. And then we got a press conference saying, oh, we're going to do something, and we're going to do something immediately. 
now we're almost a year out from that press conference, right? So we're going to amplify the community's voice. We're going to let all the legislators know that we want to see the Delaware Police Accountability now. And if we don't get it, or if we get bills introduced that don't include everything we need for effective police reform, we're going to remember and continue to uh, educate the community on who was for it and who wasn't and who did something and who didn't. Yeah, we talked about that, and I had a couple sort of side conversations with a few elected officials just this afternoon after reading the uh, reading the whole article of the, that I excerpted at the beginning of this, uh, because I think, as was mentioned in the article by Sarah Gamard, you know, a lot of people just want to say, "Well, we'll wait for Franklin Cook's, you know, recommendations." I don't want to say anything. I don't want to make you mad. I don't want to go out on a limb. I, I guess you know. What's happening, I think, is exactly right. We're going to do this regardless. And you're going to have to go on the record. There's no more. The, the cover, this Franklin Cook task force cover, we're blowing that up. That's gone. That's over now. And so now you can go on the record and, and take a side and support it or not, and that'll be, and we'll operate accordingly. You know, because um, this, the, the things that are happening with police reform uh, actually give me a lot of hope because that's the exact kind of thing that needs to be done. It's a, it's a direct confrontation uh, with, the, with the people who simply do not want to have it. And they'll do everything not to have it. Um, as Sarah mentions in the article, too, that I read, um, you know, the one thing we're supposed to get is body cameras. Well, I've talked about that back and forth, whatever. Uh, you listened. I, I did a show on Carney's State of the State address. The only thing, after, after going in the street, after shutting down 95, after having... You know, state cops train sniper rifles on, on, on Kobe Owens. I saw it. After all that, there wasn't even a line in the state of the state about anything other than body cameras. So it seems to me, and it's sort of alluded to in Sarah's piece, that, you know, the governor and, and those around him are not going to be our partners in this. So the only way to do it is the way that it's being done. Try to be try to raise these issues, put people on the record, you know, show people in the public what this means, who's with you and who is not with you, and then proceed from there. That's the only way it's going to work. And again, uh, the powers that be here don't like um, really they like it to work the way they want it to work. Uh, but we don't have to we don't have to put up with it and we're not going to. So, yeah, I'm 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 extremely happy that that this is happening. Um yeah, especially after what happened in Maryland. I'm, I guess you guys probably followed that. Um, that was a, a you know a, a happy outcome for them because these cop bill of rights are radical documents, absolutely radical, should not exist, and that's the conversation we need to be having, not you know waiting for a task for, for bullet points from a task force. I think it's also important that we note that a lot we have to keep educating people because I have so many people of color. I have argued with that have told me to my face, it can't be repealed. Like literally I have people tagging me apologizing and I'm like, it can be, it was, it didn't always exist. Well, like, certainly we not going to be repealed with that attitude. Exactly. Like they look, Oh, it can only be modified. What are you talking about? We you, you, come on now Like you, there are more of us than there are them. So if we organize anything can, is possible, you know, I'm all for people power, but at the end of the day, anything is possible. But when you start off what it can't be, Listen, it will be. That should be your attitude. It will be. Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but eventually it will be. 
And yeah, and that's the mindset just, you have to take for sure. Yeah, go ahead, John. Yeah, I would just say too that that you know Hanif setting up this really great campaign that we can't get. We, we love to call it DPAN, Delaware Police Accountability Now. And the thing I want to highlight is that there's a P in there for police, police accountability. But that P can be swapped. That's part of this bill. Is that political accountability is part of it too. The way you get police accountability is making sure that your legislators are accountable to what they say they're going to do in the communities they're set to represent. And so if, and I, you know, legislators are, fingers crossed, we're going to do the right thing. We're going to live up to the promises that were delivered. But if they don't, accountability is part of this process. Everybody really we all in our own lives need to model accountability. We're expected to be accountable to our families, to our communities, and we have to expect our politicians and our police officers to be accountable as well. And speaking of politicians, I was in an RD meeting, okay? Someone asked a question to Andrea Bennett, okay, about where she stood on an issue. Somebody else jumps in and says, oh, we shouldn't, we shouldn't like, put her on a spot like that. Here comes Ty. Uh, yes, we should. She's an elected official. She ran on this platform. Why can't we ask her where she stands while we're talking to her? You know what I mean? And that's what I'm talking about accountability. Why are you scared to ask her and she's on the Zoom with us? Lo and behold, we got an answer because I wasn't going to let it go. But, you know. Yeah. I mean, you see what Sarah Gamard wrote in the in that piece. And I think I, I, give, I have to give her credit because, um, you know, a lot of that stuff doesn't come out in regular news articles. You know, people like us who work with this stuff know it. But, yeah, people don't say anything because they want to be a good colleague. Well, I don't want you to be a good colleague. I want you to represent my interests. Like, I don't, I don't care. Like, the, the, it's not like you're not going to like you're not going to work and working. Like, I understand you might have to negotiate in that sense. And so. You need to have a professional relationship with the other people you're negotiating with. But there are your, like the, when I'm negotiating for, in the finance office of a car dealership for a car, that's not my friend. Like, and so this, again, this, that was a way, that was a very underhanded, intentional, structural way to ensure that things operate in a particular fashion. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And definitely, that, Rob, because you, you got to look at it. Um, as Sarah mentioned in her article, like you said, I, I, it is a great article. Like I said, I'm glad she went ahead and, and put that out there because we have to understand that at the same time, they're, all, they're talking politics. So the same colleagues you're telling us that you don't want to step on toes and work with, you guys collectively came out in June and said that you were going to do something and do something swiftly. So now why is there a problem with doing something swiftly with your other colleagues who were at with you in the press conference? And that's why we truly need to hold specifically the Delaware Black Caucus accountable. Now, there were others at that press conference. Like I remember seeing uh, Rep. Longhurst there. I remember seeing our Attorney General Jennings there. Uh, 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 so there were others, but the Delaware Black Caucus announced to the public June of 2020 that they were going to move on police reform with a litany of bills, and we haven't seen that one yet. Yeah, I saw an interesting um, report today from some some committee hearing, and I'll give him a shout out because he might be the nicest. Uh, elected official in the state. I love every time I see him, I want to give him a hug. Larry Lambert, 
uh, <laughs> yeah. apparently. God, I love that guy. I love uh, him too. But he he basically made a comment in a committee is basically like, you know, you everybody voted for this resolution to praise, you know, first responders and praise people who stock your grocery shelves during the and you should. Uh, you know, grocery store workers, uh, healthcare workers, uh, re restaurant workers, all these that helped us get through, you know, pretty got a little squirrely there for a minute. Um, but then when when the time comes to pay those same workers a, a living wage, everybody runs away from it. The same workers, the same, the people. same people, the same so, people and healthcare workers, too. Yes. We started. So you'll sign on to a, a, a you know, uh, you know, to, to applaud them and stand up and clap your hands. Well, what that is, is what FDR called a smooth evasion. You know, you believe everything we believe, but you just want to do it in a way that doesn't cost anybody anything. Uh, Thank and you for risking your life, but I can't pay you any more money. Correct. And because it's it's easy to stand up and give somebody praise. Uh, but if it costs some if, if you have to give them something, a, a livable wage or some benefits or treat them like a human being or whatever it is, that actually you have to actually do something. And that's the that's the smooth evasion from the talk to the do. And, and from actually saying we have to be accountable and take the cost, and take the hit and fix this problem. And that's it. But no. But but again, this is um, why we have to break sort of this cabal for, for absolutely sure. Well, before we move on, because we have a big topic that I, I want to talk about, um, because we ha we got the the verdict in the in the Chauvin trial yesterday on the twentieth, um, but I understand because clean slate there there is a there is a a number of clean slate bills that have gotten a hearing I guess today or yesterday, and maybe John can sort of take us through those so everybody knows exactly what's on paper and what's being considered by the legislature. Uh, and, and sort of knows if they want to get into in the weeds with some sort of policy stuff before we move on. Sure. I'm happy to do that, Rob. Thanks. So I think uh, one of the first things that's used in talking about clean slate, the very first thing I have to do is talk about expungements. And before I even talk about expungements, I need to talk about collateral consequences. So a collateral consequence is something that is never issued in a sentence. It's not something that's part of the you know, the atonement that somebody is expected to provide as part of the legal system's justification around punishment or anything like that. It's merely something that occurs when an individual gets a record for an arrest that maybe never results in a charge or any conviction or a violation of some kind or a conviction of some type. That record follows people throughout their lives. We had somebody at one of our events recently called it like a haunted. That record can haunt you. It is with you in your psyche every day. It is also with you every time you think about applying for a job or filling out that new housing application. And so those collateral consequences have more than just psychological effects. They have huge economic ones. They have huge in terms of security for families and their ability to maintain stable housing, provide food, medical care, and other for things for their children and extended family obtain jobs, all of that stuff. So those are collateral consequences that come with the record. Expungements in Delaware come in three forms. Um, and an expungement, first of all, in Delaware is not the di dictionary definition. If you open up an expungement, it does not, what it says in Merriam-Webster is not what, how Delaware's code defines it. Delaware's code defines it as a destruction, a segregation, or 
storing at, with SBI. And the big thing I wanna highlight is the OR. So basically for Delaware, the purpose of expungement means that that record is shielded from public view. It is not available once it's expunged to members of the general public. It is still available to members of law enforcement and in the courts. So that's a, one thing I wanna highlight. Now, there's three types of expungement. mandatory, but generally for, for some lower level convictions, for arrests that never result in any type of charge or conviction, as well as violations. There's then things called discretionary expungements, which are for certain misdemeanors and felonies that are generally a slightly more severe nature than the ones that are eligible for mandatory. And then beyond that, there's certain types of conviction records that are only, only eligible for expungement after pardon. So those three things, I apologize for diving into the weeds, but I think it's important before we talk about clean slate that, that people have a clear understanding of, of those three categories. A mandatory is basically a checklist. If you meet the checklist, you're supposed to be able to get the expungement. What Clean Slate is doing is expanding the number of records that are eligible for mandatory expungement. And then after that expansion, in addition to that expansion, they automate the process. Right now in Delaware, as, of, as we're sitting here talking, there are about up to 80,000 Delawareans that are eligible for an expungement. I mean, that's good. It's not, it's not great. There are 400,000 Delawareans with records. So there's still a lot of work to be done. But 80,000 is not nothing. The downside is that only 6% of Delawareans who are eligible actually obtain an expungement. So why? The reason why is because it, it costs money. And if you have a record, it's harder to get a job, to get the money, to pay for everything you need to gather to get your expungement. It takes time. It also take, It's also kind of confusing. I mean, I'm a, I'm a lawyer. Um, other people work in this space every day. And sometimes we don't even know the answer off the top of our head. And so if you're not a lawyer and you're trying to figure it out on your own, it's not easy. So for all those reasons, 94% of people don't get an expungement they're, they're eligible for. And Clean Slate's looking to automate that process and say, if you meet that checklist, the state's going to do it automatically and you'll be informed that your expungement, your expungement has occurred. You've done what you needed to do. You stayed out of any trouble. You have put, you have moved on from that moment, that one mistake, that one act that perhaps uh, occurred in your past. And you can now be defined by the totality of who you are rather than that one circumstance. So that's my pitch, Rob. That's my explanation. I don't know if you have other questions. Yeah, yeah I'm in no, the weeds I, in this every day. So <laughs> I think it's important because, um, you know, Hanif told his story and we talked about sort of the structural things that are in place uh, to, to hinder just to give anybody the opportunity to to get educated to get a job to, to work in their community they just there, there's so many uh, roadblocks and and the, and the little secret is exactly what you said you know as somebody who told a personal story like Hanif he went through it like it's all nobody could really explain to you like really what it is or why it works this way. They just know that's the way it was. It's working however it was designed. And, and so we just had to push this button or put you there or check this box or whatever we need to do. And it, all of it costs obviously has to cost money. And and we don't have to do it that way. Uh, you know, this is the particular situation for people who should have criminal charges expunged 
They should get pardons, and they should, should start fresh after they made a mistake or, 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 or just got caught up in the system, you know, as, as has been described. And I think that the concept of doing this can be taken across criminal justice reform. I think it can be applied, you know, to barriers there is to housing. I always, like, harp on that all the time. To barriers about organizing at work, I harp on that all the time. But all of this stuff, all of these things that we assume that we need— we have to break them all down and give everybody the opportunity in all of these areas. So, yeah, I, I think I think explaining it to that level of detail will help people sort of see what the real barriers, you know, are. I guess, but the only the only follow up I have is: Are there is is there uh, is there legislation uh, being considered this session uh, that will address some of the concerns that you, that you dis that you described? Definitely, yeah. So, uh, Senator Darius Brown has introduced. He's actually introduced three bills. One of them actually just went through a House committee today. It's what you would call a cleanup bill. If you look at it, uh, nobody's going to look at it and be like, ooh, yes, I love that bill. It's mostly cleaning things up to help with the clean slate process, and it does an excellent job at that. There are two more bills that were heard in the Senate Judiciary Committee today, SB 111 and SB 112. Um, SB 112 expands the the records that are eligible for mandatory expungement. And again, mandatory expungement is that checklist process. Um, SB 111 automates mandatory expungements in the state of Delaware. So these are really important next steps. Um, there's going to be more that, that, that still is necessary to ensure that like a, a true clean slate is offered to Delawareans and true second chances are offered but they are really important next steps. And I do want to thank Senator Brown for his work in this area. I mean, he, he introduced the, before 2019, expungements in Delaware, you, you got to go get a pardon and then you got to apply for an expungement. And then, you know, maybe. Uh, so, so we at least have started a process. We're refining that process. It's getting better. And I think that there are important next steps. Now, when you say automate this, does that mean that if, if a particular individual is eligible by the new rules, then they ought, they receive the expungement without taking any action, or will, will action still be required from the individual? Automate, automatic. Let's. I think that yes, Perfect. you're right. They're actually two different things. Is both automatic and automated. So Perfect. it's automatic in the sense that an individual just has to focus on their life and doing what they need to do to support themselves, support their families, support their communities, and do right by them. The system is now, with a clean slate kind of automatized and automatic process, is going to pull records on a regular basis, on a monthly basis, as a record then is determined to be eligible for uh, expungement, that process will then be automated and happen in that moment. So it both, it will save some of the the person power that's required on a government side. So it's like a good governance bill too, you could argue. It makes government work more efficiently, um, just generally, and also makes it work more efficiently for the people. Um, it will, in the long term, save Delaware money. I know um, SBI may not completely agree with me on some of these facts, but we, we can talk about that. Um, but um, yeah, so there's it will, in the long term, save money. It will actually be more efficient, and it's going to be a huge benefit to Delawareans because it's going to people earn twenty percent on average higher as a wage the year after they obtain an expungement. 
400,000 Delawareans currently have a record, 80,000 are currently eligible. If 80,000 people all of a sudden were able to get jobs that paid them 20% more next year, that would obviously have a huge impact on economies and communities throughout the state. Yeah, I definitely, I hope that people see sort of how this fits into all the other things that we're that we're talking about, you know, minimum wage, giving people the opportunity to have the clean slate. Uh, all of this kind of kind of works as one package with one idea in mind. I hope people are starting to uh, starting to, to catch on to that. Um, OK, can, can so, I interrupt you. I'm sorry. You, you may. Start. You may. Okay, I'm sorry. I wanted to go back to John when you said about the um, record. So one of the things like I had a situation which I can't go into detail with right now, but they dropped the charges. OK, the. And it was a DUI. She blew a 0.0 on the breathalyzer. Was she, did. The DUI. She, she did. Mm -hmm. And so when they dropped the charges, I said, I want her record expunged. Oh. Oh, it just says it was no, no, no. See, there's a difference between just dropping the charges and leaving it there because now she has an arrest record. And that is a judgment. Every time her fingerprints are pulled, that will show up. Right. So when if you're going to drop the charges, is that part of the, the, the thing? Because I think a lot of people don't understand that when they apply for jobs or when they work with children and stuff like that, even though those charges are dropped, they still show up. Well, I'll tell you what. Here, here's what I'll 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 do it. I'll do it myself. This is my role. So I, I you know, I, I I've I've uh, I'm familiar with the criminal justice system. Uh, you know, I. I've been in some fights, you know, I, I uh, caused a problem with my ex-wife and her new boyfriend in my house, and I had to go to jail for that, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but what happens when you're, when you're an affluent white person, you just, you hire a defense attorney, and then most of that stuff just gets, it gets dropped, you know, and they just say, okay, we're going to drop the charges, or you pay a fine for some sort of thing that isn't even a misdemeanor, you know, it's just a thing, you just pay the fine, whatever. Uh, but when, when I would go and get a corporate job, and they did a background check, they would find those drop charges things, and I would have to go to get the thing to say, oh, yeah, this is not, like, so that I'm assumed. But I had, I had to take the initiative after a background check because it's available to law enforcement, background, you know, all of that, the courts and all that. And so I, I know that personally. Now, again, I, I'm, uh, I'm certainly not a victim here. I, I, I was able to, because of the resources I had and who I am, was able to get myself out of a few jams that, you know, I, I might have I caused myself. Um, but, yeah, I, I understand personally how, how that works. And, Again, it just goes into that idea of putting up barriers and making things difficult, and and always leaving something to be used to be used against you later. Yes, it's a, it's a form of racism because I can stop you, I can charge you with all kinds of things, and then I can later my colleague him will just go and drop the charges, but that record remains. So the next time you're stopped, oh, you were stopped for this, 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 and this, or you know what I mean, or you try to get a job, oh well, there must be something because there's this whole list of charges. You know, yeah. nobody should have to walk around with a 0, 0.0 breathalyzer. <laughs> and that, and I think what Rob just talked about in his experiences is one of the reasons, another reason why clean slate is so important. Because if you are a fluent white person, sometimes that's not even the case. You could just be a white person. These things will go away or they won't provide the collateral consequences, right? You'll be able to get through that experience with a slap on the wrist and it will not prevent you from moving on with what you wanna do in your life. 
But for black men specifically and black people, black and brown people as a whole, that is not the case. It could be a misdemeanor, even if convicted. It, it gets bad because it could start yeah. off with a traffic citation where you didn't have a headlight on your bi pedal bicycle while you were riding. And then that ticket turned into a warrant for your arrest because you didn't pay the fine. And now you literally have an arrest record. And employers don't ask black people, oh, can you show us proof that this charge was dismissed? Exactly. They give us, oh, we don't really know how to read this. So we just assume whatever comes up that you've done. So... Yeah, I, I'm. I'm sure I got the bet. I'm. I'm sure that just just from accident of birth, I got the benefit of a lot of doubts. Yeah, and I think just kind of expanding on what you're both saying, like two things. First, records touch all communities. They touch everybody. I don't personally have a record, but I have family members who have a record. In Delaware, almost half the state has one. So people who have records are are neighbors. They are your friends. They're your family members. But Hanif has a very important point. That reality, that does not fully explain the situation. The impacts of those records are different in many cases, and they are disparately impacting Black, Latinx, and low-income folks more than others. But I do want to emphasize that, you know, this is, I don't want anybody to sit here and be like, oh, this is only an issue for, this is an issue for everybody. For everyone. Yeah. And kind of building on that, what you were saying, Rob, you know, nine out of 10 employers will do a background check. But it's not just employers. Three out of five educational institutions will do a background check when they're deciding who to admit or who to provide financial aid to. You know, so yeah. four Land, out of five land, landlords, landlords are going to check. Too, yeah, absolutely. And so, and again, this doesn't, as, as Ty was saying, this doesn't even, you don't actually have to have done anything wrong. You could just be arrested because somebody thought you looked like you might've done something wrong or you were near something that they thought that somebody did. So, oh, okay, let's just arrest everybody. And that's on your record. And the charges may be dropped. You're never convicted of anything. Maybe even found not guilty, right? Like it goes that far and, 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 and people decide you are not guilty of this. That record's still there. And that record for nine out of 10 employers, many times the second they see that, they could, you, they could rob, they could like we like you're describing, they could ask you or they could not. Right. You know, that they would say, oh, what, what is this? Can you account for this? And I can, I say, yeah, I can. And then I, it's on me to do it. But I'm sure, as I said, I'm sure that, you know, I, you know, got the benefit of the doubt that most people don't get. I just don't get a call back. I'm like, what happened? And, and that's it. It's just, it's just, oh, I don't even know why. And it's just over. And then you get caught in that, in that cycle. And so the, the thing the, the thing that I one of the real positives about SB 111, which is entitled the Clean Slate Act because it institutes that automated and automatic process, is that Ty, as you were saying, people think charges dropped. All right, I'm good. That record's still there. You can in that moment, you are eligible to apply for an expungement, but you need to know that you should do that. You need exactly. to then have the money to do it, and you need to go get your fingerprints pulled. You need to gather a record from this other place. You need to have the time. You need to be able to take off work to do all that. And then you can send it in and hopefully nothing goes wrong and they process it correctly. Because if they don't, you just get something saying you're rejected and not eligible. They don't tell you why. So the idea of it being automatic is that, that it will do this for you. It will gather those records because the state has them all. You may not, the state does. So it will make that happen automatically so that that, that charge is truly dropped. 
true. That doesn't follow you. Uh, for other for other types of records, you may have to wait a little while. That's how the Delaware laws is laid out. You know, a violation, you're going to have to wait three years and not have a subsequent conviction for something, and it will become eligible. Same thing with different types of records. You have to wait perhaps a longer period of time. But the whole idea is that once you've done your part, once you've followed those rules that the state has laid out for you, the state's going to do right by you and, and make this make this process happen. Well, here we go. We're going to have to strap in. Are you strapped in? I'm in. So, so last night I was preparing dinner and I had heard uh, that the Chauvin verdict was going to be given, uh, you know, in a certain period of time. And I'm, I'm, as people know, I'm a very like nervous person. I have a lot of like anxiety. Um, you know, I got ticks. I talk loud. I walk around pace. All that stuff. That's why I smoke so much weed. Just trying to tamp that down. And so I decided I was just going to make dinner and try not to think about it, and then I'll just find out what happened. Somebody will tell me. Nurse Susan comes home. She's like, you're not listening to the verdict on the radio? I'm like, I can't. I don't. So we turned it on the radio. So I listened to the verdict, and um, I just felt relief and sadness. And um, I went on a group chat that I have where it was ha people were talking about it, and I said, you know, I, it's nothing to celebrate. And I and I just made my dinner and didn't think about it. And then later, uh, later that evening, I got a text from from Ty, and it just said, uh, "Am I am I the only one who has a different opinion about this verdict? Do I have to talk to my friends from Jerky Town?" Yes. So, <laughs> so, so I, again, I I, I want to leave it to 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 you guys to sort of give me your your. Reactions. It's only been like a, a day, but I, I, again, my initial reaction is that, you know, a, a a modicum of you know a result in a in a in a murder trial, where the person's dead, and again, I, I I don't think very much of police just in general, and certainly not of ones who are murderers, um, but I certainly don't celebrate the fact that somebody's going to go to prison for a long time. Uh, I know that's what has to happen, and it's appropriate, uh, but it's not something that makes me feel good. Um, but anyway, maybe Ty, you, you were the one who texted me. So you kick, you kick it off and then, uh, we'll throw it around. We'll throw it around the horn. I'm sorry, you guys, this is your first time meeting me, but so I'm normally the one person in the room who has a totally opposite thing. So my phone blows up as soon as the verdict goes off. Okay. Comes out. And my response to people was, what are we celebrating? We watched like the fact that the whole world is holding their breath after we watched this man get murdered slowly and painfully murdered and that prosecution put on probably the most comprehensive prosecution ever okay this is not a celebration we have set the bar his own superior like people in his department people had to come in they've testified against him the bar has now been set so high for a burden of proof to get a conviction that it should be disappointing okay Nobody should have to hold their breath. This shouldn't be a celebration. It should have been like, we knew this was going to happen. And that's that was my response. Like, wow, so this is, we have to do all of this? When are we going to ever have another case that this, this, it's this clear cut? I didn't yeah. find any of these to celebrate. Yeah, I mean, a lot, of, a lot of people are sort of assuming that it's a turning point, and I'm using my, my ironic air quotes. Like, it's possible that this does lead to, you know, more charges, more accountability. 
Uh, but I, I, I'm that. This is that's yet to be determined, and I'm certainly not. You know, uh... they almost burned the whole town down first. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like <laughs> it was. I think we forgot all the stuff that happened before then. You know, <sighs> we forget too soon. Okay, yeah. Me, so I, I want to start <laughs> off. <laughs> I, I want to start off first, just saying um, that uh, uh, I am grateful for the Floyd fam that they were able to see yes. steps towards justice, right? It's still sentencing. I'm still pessimistic. I mean, he might get a three to five. For, you know I mean, like, how the hell does that happen with those charges? But really, they have a step towards justice, right? And they got a big sigh of relief. Um, my personal perspective on the verdict is that, uh, uh, you know, this criminal justice reform, police reform, Everybody should be on board because I believe Chauvin was a sacrifice of a capitalistic society, right? They knew what was going to happen if they said yes. not guilty. Well, without a doubt, exactly. the fact of what happened when Mr. Floyd was killed and the reaction that happened nationally, they knew that that would be a reoccurrence had they said hung jury or not guilty. Exactly. And to be honest, most cities across America are preparing for a summertime open up. Right. We're already seeing May being scheduled for live events We're we're not hearing a lot about rise and spikes within uh, the, the disease right now. And I think that many states, including Delaware, are planning to open up and to do more in-person activity through the summer. And they didn't want to prevent that. Exactly. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So they sacrificed Mr. Shoulder. Right. So, OK, that's my perspective. If I want to be optimistic and look at other, what other people are celebrating that. This could be looked at as a good first step, right? We're in Delaware. Delaware always takes baby steps. So nationally, this is the first cop that was convicted, right? We've seen a few years ago, I think it was the Baltimore case. They were the first cops to get indicted, but then they weren't convicted of everything. This is the first conviction. But what I want to make clear is it's not justice. It's not justice until every police officer is held accountable. It is not justice to, like Taisha said, it is the norm that police are charged and convicted for their wrongdoing. And here specifically in Delaware, there's nothing to celebrate because we still have the situation of Lyman Moses that is an yep. open investigation at almost six months after he lost his life. And due to our Leoboard laws, his family do not even know the individuals involved. Right. And this is why we need Delaware police accountability. Now, police are no different than you and I. We all put our pants on one leg at a time. And if I commit a violent act, specifically murdering someone during the investigation, my name is going to be at the top of every publication up and down this state, probably on the East Coast. Right. So it's not right that when a police commits this act, their identity is hidden. The details of the investigation are hidden and prolonged in a way that it's designed to get them all. And so that's why we need to see Delaware police accountability now. Um, I am happy for the Floyd family, but I agree with Taisha. I have nothing to celebrate uh, from that murder. Yes, welcome okay. to Jerkyville. All right. <laughs> <laughs> it's good to be we, here. <laughs> yeah, we, we found a home. Yes. Um, yeah. uh, I would say, so I'm still 
maybe I'm slow, but I'm still processing all of this because I think that what all of you have said, it definitely echoes a lot of what I'm feeling. It, it, is, it is refreshing to see accountability in, in this instance. Somebody was, in fact, convicted of things that overwhelming evidence pointed to the fact that they were guilty of. You know, I think overwhelming is a key word because it was kind of against all odds. Yes. Uh, I feel like if you stripped away half this evidence, it would still be called overwhelming. Um, but yet ev- it felt like every single one of those witnesses and every single exhibit introduced and every piece of evidence was required to get this. Um, but I also think, I mean, I, I, I have heard so many people call it justice. And I do struggle with that term also because, you know, when folks are convicted, what happens to them afterwards is not justice. It's hard to say that our current system produces justice. And that's true for Derek Chauvin too. I mean, he's going to be put away and locked away. We'll find out for how long. <laughs> to TBD, uh, look to check out Minnesota in a couple of weeks. But um, the answer too is that when he enters that system, that system's still broken. Uh, it's going to be bad. It'll be bad for Derek Chauvin. A lot of people will feel like he's deserved that. Okay. But um, it's also not a system that's really oriented towards justice. And so I would say that he is, he is being held accountable by a legal system. I am I'm happy that he's being held accountable. But um, I feel like accountability also isn't a reason to celebrate. We wouldn't celebrate a child for being accountable for their acts. Um, we would say, okay, it was the right thing to do. Now, be accountable and try not to do it again. At the same time, like, you know, as Ty was saying, we don't want to set the bar so low that we're, that we are cheering all out for the bare minimum. Accountability should be expected. It's a standard. And, and hopefully you don't cheer for standards. You, you cheer for, for things that exceed your standard. Um, and so that's, that's kind of where, where I fall. But I mean, talk to me in a few days and maybe my, my ideas will have shifted, but that's, kind of where I am now. I feel like accountability may have been achieved, but but I'm not so sure that I feel comfortable saying justice. Because to be honest, our current system, I don't know what justice looks like. Rob, you got to come on over here to Jerkyville. Jerkyville. He's, oh, he's previewing Jerkyville right now. Okay. Buddy, I, I'm, <laughs> <Take a> the, <laughs> I'm the fucking mayor of Jerkyville. <laughs> right on. Uh, um, <laughs> no, I, I, yeah, I mean, I, I feel like that. I mean, uh, Hanif brought up... Uh, Lyman Moses and I and I do have to apologize. I think I've been pronouncing his name Lamont for some reason. I don't know why uh, Lyman Moses. Um, it makes me just so angry and sad. Um, you know, I didn't follow the George Floyd trial at all. I saw a few. I saw a few clips, like when the when the when the police chief said, you know, basically uh, took the stand in, in the, for the prosecution. I knew that happened. Um, I knew that there were some medical people going back and forth. Um, the medical examiner from Baltimore uh, for the defense actually got trained in apartheid South Africa. That's a funny little tidbit. Um, but I didn't follow it because I just couldn't. I, there was nothing I could do. Like following it just seemed like uh, gratuitous almost because it's gonna, whatever's going to happen is going to happen. So I wasn't aware of what you guys are saying that like the evidence was so like sort of tsunami of like, yeah, I mean, this is ridiculous. Because all, my mind goes back to Mr. Moses and 
you know, Newcastle County police being in a place they shouldn't be, instigating, and not only instigating, not only not only instigating, harassing, harassing, menacing. You know, you're sticking a fucking thing in the in the window, and you're opening. So I locked the, the door. You're opening the fucking. You're opening the doors. Um, you're screaming at a guy who just, you know, that's that's the cop. Kind of a light too, in his face. Yeah, to, that's all that all that disorienting stuff. And then, and then you I, wait till he drives past you to shoot him. Yeah, and then what you're going to be told is, well, he had the car in gear and he was rolling forward, and so I'm just trying to prepare myself emotionally and mentally to be told that that's okay, and to be lied to, and to be told that oh, Wilmington cops knew Newcastle County cops were there and they were on a task force for menacing people in the street. Whatever, we're going to be told some very disgusting bullshit. And and so I'm, for some reason, that's what I was thinking about last night. But I just my mind went to uh, Mr. Moses. My mind went to watching that video, and 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 it's just like it's cold comfort, man. This this I, I mean, great. We gotta we we the trial a, a an American criminal trial got the outcome that it seems makes sense. That's it. That's one thing. Um, and so I'm just, you know, I, I try not to get sucked into negativity too much, but I, it's hard. It's very difficult. It's very difficult. Well, I just yeah. want to, I'm going to, I just got to plug this, the protest this week, this Sunday, Sunday, the 25th mm. yes. It's going to be at Kingswood Community Center, 2300 Bower Street, Wilmington, Delaware. <clears throat> Let me see what time is it going to start? 3 p.m. Yeah. Okay. R I will be on the scene. That's the okay. Riverside, the Riverside, uh. Right. Yep, yeah, it's right there by Riverside, and they're going to be marching up to Rodney uh, Square. Nice. Okay. Nice. So we need to make sure because uh, all these people, oh, you're relieved, and oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Hope to see you on Sunday. Okay. Because Delaware has lots of work to do. We need boots on the ground. Okay. Not just on social media. We need you to put your little horn parts out there because we need to show up in numbers, just like you did for Floyd, because this is Delaware. Yeah, I think that's extremely important. Is that's the other thing that I think goes to the point of sort of this isn't a celebration because this is just a step in the next thing. None of this ever stops. Like we never really win anything. We we get a, we you know we got a good result here uh, with the Chauvin because we feel like at least the trial worked out. But like that's nothing. Like you still got to go out. Uh, you know you got to get in the street. There's no question about it. And so, yeah, I, I, you know, the plan is to, to 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 drop this on Friday, and yeah, whoever's hearing this on Friday, the twenty third or whatever it is, uh, get out on Sunday on on Riverside, and 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 march down to Rodney Square and just say, look, we're not putting up with this anymore. We can't. It's it's untenable. We can't live like this. Um, you know, it's just we, it, it's it's not appropriate. So, and I think Rob, we have to go back to. Oh, go ahead, John. I'm gonna yeah. yeah, I was just gonna say too. I, I think it's. Uh, kind of what you were talking about there too is that is that I just want to emphasize perhaps as a, as a white person you get a lot of experience doing this but it becomes very easy to comment and have opinions about things that happen over there that is terrible we would never do that things don't work like that in our community um, but just remember you know that it does and that it has actually Delaware is is it, it happens, and not only does it happen, we've created the system where nobody knows about it. It's really hard to hear about it. And again, kind of coming back to Deepan and, and Leobor is that, is that, you know, let me speak to my fellow white folks. 
you all have to care about this. You can't just care about it when it happens in Minnesota and it's on the national news. What happened to Lamont Moses should be on the national news. Yes. It's not because it's Delaware. It's also not because we don't know the officer's names. We're not getting any of that other information because Delaware law does not allow that to be released. I just want to repeat that. Delaware law does not. And that's a decision that's made by people. That did, that's not like time immemorial in Delaware. This is never released, written on a stone tablet somewhere. That was a decision that was made by people. And it can be a decision that is made by people to no longer have that be the case. And so I think it's important. You have to care about the things in your community. You have to listen to the people that are part of your community that maybe you're not always used to listening to. It's important to do that. And that's an important skill to develop. And it's important to listen to that leadership. Your voices may be important. Maybe your ability to listen and be present is more important than your ability to have your voice shouted loud and clear. So I just want to encourage people to recognize that their own lives are touched by this. They do not have to go looking for places to comment and have thoughts about. Thanks for that, John. And I want to jump right in because that was such a great message to our fellow white allies and anyone who wants to be involved. And I want to give a specific message to our legislators. We were so quick to do press conferences to give our response to the trial and the verdict. Um, we are so quick to speak on national uh, 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 situations. We were even concerned at what we would do locally pending the verdict of this case. You need to bring your attention to amending the legal board in this legislative session, or you might wanna start strategizing for Delaware. You at least need to be able to come with a law that say we have changed the rules to prevent things in the future. Because unfortunately, the way legal board is set up, legal board says that a cop has the right to use deadly force to make an arrest. To make an arrest. To make an arrest. So I already see where to get ready to go with all of this. And if they feel, it's a lot in Delaware's Leo board that says if the cop feels like his life or others were on the line. So as we could obviously see in the video, Mr. Moses trying to avoid law enforcement, they still can say, what they felt to be going on in that situation. So unfortunately, I am heavily pessimistic that those officers are gonna be accountable. But our Delaware legislators, if you do not pass an effective Leobor bill and charges are not brought about those officers, you, you should be concerned about how the community feels about that. And, and, and I think we need you to highlight that a little bit more because I don't think that people are understanding that the problem is Leobor. We're looking for convictions where convictions can't happen, okay? Yeah. That's the part of the missing. They can't happen because of Leobor. So if you want a conviction, you have to organize and let your voice be heard about Leobor. Pressure your legislators. Yeah, and, and I just want to reiterate the point that Hanif and Ty just made. The fact of the matter is all the, all the statements and belly aching and everything is not going to mean shit. Unless you come out and you say we have to, we have to, I am calling for Leo Board to be repealed because I think it's, it, it's, it's uh, the, the idea that there are special 
privileges and special protections given to the, to, to the very people that we uh, that we give a an, uh, the monopoly of violence to. We arm these people in the street and allow them the monopoly of, of the use of violence. And we and they get the special protect. They should have more accountability. But when but if 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 Hanif's fear is the same as my fear, you know we're going to be told that what happened to Mr. Moses was was based on this sort of opaque, secretive law. Okay, then lawmakers are going to have to stand in front of cameras and microphones, and in the in the well of the legislature and say that it's not. And say that whoever thinks it is, is not is is wrong. You know this collegial idea of like not calling people out, kind of the way we started with this, and not having adversarial argument because, you know, you just you get your, you know, you're now you've been a senator two terms and now you're you know, uh, you know, fancy McGillicuddy or some bullshit. People need to start calling this out. Well, I hope we didn't rile you guys up too much. Um, this is Jerky Town. We could we, we we've been known to go off the rails this way and that way, and uh, especially when 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 Ty's in the mix. <laughs> Ty is like uh, Reggie Jackson. Reggie Jackson used to say he was the straw that stirred the drink. <laughs> Ty is the podcast Reggie Jackson, basically. Yes. Um, so Ty, thank you for stirring the drink. Um, thank you for having me. <laughs> John, John, thank you so much uh, for joining. Yeah, it's been great. Thank you both. Yeah, uh, Hanif, thank you so much for uh, for sharing your personal story and for advocating for all this stuff. Uh, you know, we all appreciate it. Thanks so much. No, please, thank you and Ty for having us and just giving us a platform to be able to share. Yeah. So this is the first in a series. We're going to be talking to a lot of folks from the ACLU, uh, a lot of uh, someone, uh, hopefully, fingers crossed, from the national organization of the ACLU as well. And we're going to be continuing to to talk on these issues all the time. This is going to be a series. And uh, in the show notes of this, there's going to be ways um, to uh, support the ACLU's work with your money and your time to get more information about where to show up, as Ty said, so you can put your body in the street, so you can put your body in legislative halls, so you can get in front of people and start facilitating this sort of adversarial, confrontational politics. Because that's the only thing that's going to work. So, you know, look at it. We're going to we're going to be running stuff in the Delaware call along with this. Kobe from Kobe Owens from the uh, NAACP has has written uh, a nice piece that's going to complement this when we put it on the call. Uh, and, and please think about, you know, supporting our work um, here at the podcast as well. All that information will be there um, once again, everyone. Thanks for joining. Uh, and we'll just say all power to the people. And left is best. <laughs> <laughs>